So we have been talking about the power of the Spirit, actually now for, I would say, at least two months. We have looked at Acts. We have looked at what the Scriptures, what Luke calls the baptism in the Spirit. We have looked at uh, uh, this call by God to uh, be filled with the Spirit. And we've seen how Paul uses it and Luke uses it. Paul in character, Luke in what we call charisma or the power of the Spirit. And so last week, in, in taking cue from Luke, we, have, we talked about uh, the spiritual gift specifically of speaking in tongues. And we had to ask this question, is that even for today? And we discovered it was. And there's actually numerous scripture passages that we could be looking at. Um, and today, I had mentioned to you last week, today we are going to be talking about prophecy. That is speaking the words of God. Now, the, the challenge before us then is, is twofold. The first question I want us to be looking at is, number one, when a prophetic word comes forth today, whether it would be from someone who has the gift of prophecy or a scripture, as we'll see soon, um, has the, the office of a prophet. And the question then is, would such a person speak, number one, inerrantly? In other words, 100% accurately. Because we will discover from the Old Testament that if not, then they were stoned. And do we stone people today if they prophesy only 90% accuracy? Number two, the next question is, do we then speak with authority? So first question has to do with 100% accuracy. The second question has to do with authority. So let me just tell you a little story here that I heard many, many years ago. A particularly elderly couple, been living in a neighborhood for years, decades actually, new people had been moving into the neighborhood. They wanted to throw a party one night and welcome these people, and so they gave a, an invitation to all of their neighbors, and as they say, some of them which were new. Uh, but that evening, the, the elderly gentleman, the host, realized he could not find his dentures. And so he, frantically looking for them, he couldn't find them. And so he, he, he was starting to welcome people without his dentures and with each person coming in, introducing himself, they introducing themselves, apologizing for his lack of dentures. He came across one particular gentleman who, when he came in and uh, the, the, the host introduced himself, he says, well, you know what? Hang on just one second. And he reaches into his pocket, pulls out a little box, opens it up, and hands him a set of dentures. And the gentleman said, mm, thank you. And he, and he tries them on. And he says, I'm sorry, but ah, these are a little bit too big. And so he takes them out and hands them back. And the gentleman says, no problem. Puts them back, reaches into his other pocket, pulls out another box, opens it up, and hands him another set of dentures. And then he says, try these. And so the, the elderly gentleman puts them in his mouth and he says, Oh, these are a little bit too small. They're, they're just too tight. And he hands them back, and he says, not a problem, not a problem. I've got one more. Let me try. Reaches in. No, no, no. Re okay, here we go. Opens another one, hands him a set of dentures, and the gentleman puts them in his mouth and says, oh, my goodness, these fit perfectly, sir. Thank you so much. You must be the new dentist who lives up the street. And the gentleman said, actually, sir, I'm the mortician who moved in down the street. I'll let you chew on that one. <laughs> My point is sometimes things are not as they appear. They are not as they appear. In our day, there are people who have the gift of prophecy. 
And actually, if you were to read through the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 14, you would discover that this, the, the flow of the Spirit, that this opportunity to prophesy, Paul encourages all of them so that you all may prophesy. He said that I, I wish that you would speak in tongues, but even that all of you would speak in tongues, but that you would even more so prophesy. Chapter 14, verse 5, I believe that is. And so there's this encouragement to prophesy. We also discover in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, there's a number of gifts, except these are different type of gifts because these gifts are actually people with certain gift callings, offices that we, we would say. And he says, Christ has given these to the church. He says, that he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastor teachers, to prepare God's people for a work of service so that they, the body of Christ may be built up until, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure of Christ. Now, in view of that, if you look at that word until in Ephesians chapter 4 there, you would realize, very big, first word in verse 13, I believe it is, highlight that word and you will discover that these gifts, these apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor, teacher, I hyphenate pastor, teacher, for reasons I'm not going to get into, but these gifts are given to the church until, until when? Until the, the apostle number 12, apostle John dies off. No, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Church, uh, some bad news here. We have not attained that yet. So as a result, we need apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers until then. All of them, and I'm not going to get into what all of their functions are today, but I'm, my focus is going to be on the prophetic, so I'm going to focus on that gifting. And so there are prophets today. But my, here's my question that I want to lay before you. Remember, not everything is as it seems. So a prophet, and, and I have had the opportunity to be ministered to by prophets. And the word of the Lord through them was very powerful. But my question is, is it 100% accurate? And does it come with authority? So a prophet, and I'm not saying that I encountered this type of a prophet, has, is prophesying over someone, and he says to this person, I believe God is wanting you to marry this young lady over here. You are to marry this young lady over here. And pointing to that lady. And my question then is, is he obligated to do that? Does that word of the Lord come to him with authority? He says to another person, I believe God is calling you to move to thus and such a city and to start a new business. And once you've got that business established, to start a ministry to this type of people group. Is that type of a word authoritative? Must this person obey it? Another word might come forth, to leadership. And to the leadership, he says to the leadership group, he says, men of God, 
God is calling this particular person here to be set in as a pastor in your midst. Does he have such authority? Now, I would suggest to you that on the one hand, we have people in what I described last week as the cessationist camp. Not sensationist. That's sensational is a very different word. Cessation, it ceased. Certain spiritual gifts, actually all of the ones outlined in 1 Corinthians 12, they say are no longer for today. There are reasons I need to include today because they are words of caution, but the conclusion is not, therefore there are no apostles or prophets in our day, there's no prophesying, there's no tongues or interpretation, there's no miracles and, and such. The conclusion I completely disagree with. And so, on the other hand of the cessationist, cessationist is what has come to be called continuationist. I hold to this teaching of the word, that all the gifts of the Spirit, including every single one outlined in 1 Corinthians 12, and the ones I listed for you, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers, they are for today. They have not ceased but I want to throw out a word of caution because the confusion here, follow me now, the confusion on both camps that they are wrestling with is this question of the prophetic and the apostolic. Now, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. The, the, the focus, as you will see, becomes is Old Testament prophecy different than New Testament prophecy? Are they the same? Are they different? Now, where I want to go with this eventually is prophecy, I believe, is for today. Then how do we grow in it? In the Old Testament, there was something called the school of the prophets. And we have to ask, wait a second, you know, if, if prophecy is something that originates from God, how can you grow in the prophetic? God either gives it or he doesn't. We're going to discover that the prophetic actually is something that you can grow in. We can just, just by the very title, school of the prophets means there's training. And it's not just teaching them the word, but it is teaching them how to hear the voice of God. And that is crucial, that's foundational, hearing the voice of God. Because Abraham was not a prophet because of what he said. He was a prophet because he heard from God and obeyed. Okay? So as we're turning there to Ephesians chapter 2, I want us to look at two verses, one in this chapter and one in the next. And I want to ask a very insignificant question after we've read them. Chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. God's household is the church. You follow there. Now, verse 20, built on, that is, God's household, his people, his church, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So, Jesus has set in apostles and prophets for what function? To be a foundation for the church. Now, that foundation isn't built upon men as much as it is the apostles and prophets spoke 
what Christ taught. You remember that story that uh, it says the wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And when the winds and, and the storm came, the rains washed out his foundation and the house crashed. But for the person who, the wise man who built his house upon the rock, when the storm came, the foundation was not destroyed, and so the house stood firm. I'm tempted to sing that song, but I'm not going to. You will thank me later. But the truth is, that foundation, that, that rock in which the church is founded is the teachings of Christ. The apostles then taught the teachings of Christ. What did Jesus te teach? What did the apostles and prophets say? Now, follow me. Chapter 3, verse 5. Turn there now. Chapter 3, verse 5. He says, which was, uh, yeah, excuse me, I need to back up to verse 4. In reading this then, that is his letter to the Ephesians. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight as an apostle. My insight into the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is not some secret that people weren't supposed to know about. Some of us are really good at keeping secrets. Some of you are not, okay? You're really not, especially our little ones. They are not good at keeping secrets. That's not the type of secret I'm talking about. I'm talking about the secret that is something that was there in the Old Testament, but people could not understand it. Isaiah 53, you remember when the Ethiopian eunuch is riding along, actually Acts 8, he's riding along and he's reading from Isaiah 53, written 700 years before him. All 12 verses are phenomenally prophetic about this coming Messiah, Jesus himself. And as he's reading it, he's not understanding it. I'm going to, Philip then had an opportunity to explain, this is Jesus. This is amazing. It's awesome. Let me tell you about him. And so Philip had the opportunity to preach the gospel to this Ethiopian eunuch, win him to Christ, baptize him as he now went back to Ethiopia. But Isaiah 53 is part of this mystery. It's not a shh, don't tell anyone type of secret. It is a truth that was clouded in mystery, not understood, not clear. But when Christ came, it was clarified. This is what Isaiah was predicting, prophesying about 700 years ago. And so that mystery is now the gospel. All right, so let me continue here. In reading this, then you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who he is, and the amazing thing that he has done to secure our salvation on the cross and by the resurrection. Verse 5, all right, verse 5, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now, say that word with me, church, now, now been revealed by the Spirit to whom? God's holy apostles and prophets. And I need you to see something here, that this group of men, the apostles and prophets, who are the foundation of the church, they are a special group of people. Why? Because God directly revealed to them the mystery of Christ. Let me tell you how special they are. If you were to go to Revelation chapter 21, 
you would discover as John is having this amazing vision. He sees the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, and he begins to describe this vision. The new Jerusalem, because the angel says, come, let me show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Let me, in essence, let me show you the church, okay? And all that he shows John is the new Jerusalem. And he begins to describe in great detail this new Jerusalem, which is the church. And this is what he says. There were 12 foundations. And so I don't know what those 12 foundation stones were, but it comes to us as a symbol. The 12 foundation stones had the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Why? Because they were the ones that followed Jesus. They were the ones who heard Jesus, saw the miracles that Jesus did, listened to his teaching, sat under his feet and listened to him. They were then the ones, excuse me, who were safeguarded with the truth, with the teachings of Christ. And they committed them to memory, by the way. That was the job of any disciple. That's a little bit foreign to us. Maybe not for those of you who have to memorize certain things to do well on tests, but then a week later you've forgotten it. No, 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 no. These guys, when they committed these, the teachings of Jesus to memory, they meditated and thought about them because they were being entrusted with these teachings. Okay? So <laughs> in Acts 2.42, <clears throat> the early church, Remember, 3,000 got saved that day at Pentecost. And it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves, first thing, to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? It was the very substance of what Christ did and taught. Okay? That's what they had been safeguarded with. However, Revelation says that there were only 12 of those. Now, I'm going to word it in just a little bit different way. I'm going to refer to those foundational apostles of the 12 plus 1. Can you imagine who that plus 1 is? The 12 plus 1, that would be Paul. He, he describes himself as one of those founding apostles because Jesus revealed the truth to him directly. Directly. And he... <laughs> And may I also say, he wrote scripture. He was a foundational apostle. But his name would not have been on one of those foundation stones. So I'm going to call that the 12 plus 1. Because he was one, as he says, as born out of due season. Not in the natural way. He wasn't like one of the 12 that sat at Jesus' feet, saw what Jesus did, heard what he taught. But he was associated with that group. So here's what I want to ask you. Was Barnabas an apostle? Scripture tells us that he was. Was Silas and Timothy, were they apostles? Scripture tells us that they were. When Paul's writing to the, to the Thessalonians, he words it this way. He says, when he introduces the letter, he says, Timothy, excuse me, I, Paul, and Silas and Timothy to the church in, in Thessal, in Thess, to the Thessalonians. Then he says in chapter 2, we apostles 
did not want to be a burden to you. Who is he talking about? The, the, the 12 back in Jerusalem? Of course not. He's talking about Silas and Timothy and himself. We, apostles, to you, Testament, we didn't want to be a burden to you. So we worked day and night. We shared the gospel and our lives with you as well. And so we realized that there were more apostles than just the 12 and Paul. We could talk about Timothy and Titus. They functioned apostolically. They were, Timothy was set in Ephesus, and he was to put the churches, in plural, because there were many local house churches, he was to help put them in order. That's the function of an apostle, as you read through the book of Acts. <clears throat> and so Paul delegated that apostolic authority to Timothy, but he also did it with Titus, who did the very same thing in the, on the island of Crete. And so we see numbers of apostles, but they are not the foundational apostles to whom the mystery of Christ was revealed. So I'm going to suggest to you that there were two levels of apostles. The founding apostles, the 12 plus 1, and then others that function apostolically that we actually read about in that verse I quoted to you in Ephesians 4. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastor teachers. Is it just the 12 plus 1 apostles that he's talking about? No, all apostles. So here's what I'm saying to you today. Today, because of that word until, those, these gifts are given to us until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge, what we have today are not the original 12 plus 1. It's not the 12 apostles plus Paul. It would, because, because Jesus revealed the gospel to them and they wrote it down. And we have what we call the New Testament scriptures. The New Testament scriptures are not being written today. And, 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 I'm, and I want to emphasize this too. You're going to see some application as we go along. But can I challenge you that when Joseph Smith in the late 1800s truly believed that he had a vision from an angel to found the Mormon church, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, he was surely mistaken when he penned the Book of Mormon. To be frank... He plagiarized much of the King James Version, but other places in which he was just blatantly wrong. May I suggest to you also that this young man left the, um, the, free, the, the Masons not because of so much theological differences, but to found a new church. Masons, if you have done any studying, are steeped in the occult. They have many occult symbols. Some of you, I know, your, your grandparents or parents were involved in Freemasonry. Some of the founding fathers kind of dabbled in Freemasonry. The, when you get to the 30th degree, the 30th level, there are secret things. They are occultic things. And when you look at the Mormon church, there are occultic, clearly occultic symbols that they have in their temples because of Joseph Smith's background in the occult and in Freemasonry or Masonry. But he then said that he received from an angel, Moroni, more scriptures, and he wrote them down. And if you were to talk to any of your Mormon friends, they not only 
have the Bible and believe it's scripture, but they also believe that the Book of Mormon, along with the Pearl of Great Price and others, are scripture. So this is why this is important. When the apostles, when the apostles died out, and the prophets on which the church was founded, when they died out, they were never to be resurrected, if you will, again. Those types of apostles and prophets are not today. So if there are two classes of apostles, the 12 plus 1, and the Barnabases and the Timothys and the Tituses and Andronicus and Juniuses and those types of apostles, it, they were in the New Testament church time period, then I'm going to suggest to you that there are those second class or secondary type of apostles today. They function apostolically, but they do not function with the apostolic authority that the, that the original 12 plus 1 did. They cannot. If they do, then we would be able to write script. They would be able to write scripture because they would have such authority. They do not today. So if there are two classes of apostles today, may I suggest to you the very same thing with regard to prophets. There are prophets in the New Testament in which the mystery of Christ was revealed and they spoke with the authority of the word of God. Jude was not an apostle. He was a prophet and he penned the book of Jude. What about Mark? What about Luke? Luke, in fact, was a Gentile. He was not part of the 12 apostles, but he was a prophet that the Spirit of God revealed truth to, and he penned both the gospel according to Luke and Acts. They are inspired by, by the Spirit. They are inerrant, and they come with authority. Such apostles, those types of apostles, are not the type of apostles that are here today. And I need us to now dig into this a bit. Because if we fail to recognize these two different types of apostles and prophets, we are going to assume that any prophet today, and there are prophets today, by the way, church, I've encountered them, they have spoken uh, very deeply into my life, but I'm going to suggest to you that they do not carry the same authority and they do not speak 100% accurately. So let's look then at this difference between New Testament and Old Testament prophecy, okay? So if someone comes up to you and he says, this is the word of the Lord, you are to marry this young lady. And this has happened in Jesus's church. And I'm gonna, I would challenge if prophets were, were, would listen to this and would search the scriptures, I think they would come to this conclusion that they do not carry the same authority that the prophets did that founded the church. There were other prophets other than those who wrote scripture. They did not carry the same authority as Jude and as Mark and as Luke did who were not apostles, by the way. They were prophets to whom the mystery of Christ had been revealed. And they wrote it down inerrantly. That does not happen today. Prophets do not speak inerrantly today. If they did, they would be writing scripture. Just like Joseph Smith. So, what then is this difference between Old Testament and New Testament prophets or prophecy. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
In 1 Corinthians 7, we've looked at this. Chapter 12 lists the spiritual gifts. 14 talks about how to operate them. And, but this chapter is specifically about love and the preeminence of love. But embedded in that, we looked at this passage last week, we discovered this. It says, <clears throat> where there are tongues, they will be still. This is verse 8. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part. That is the message of knowledge. That's what he's referring to here. For we know in part, we exercise the message of knowledge in part. Underline that phrase, in part. And we prophesy. How, church? Completely, fully, with 100% accurately? accuracy? No, in part. Do you see that? So we know in part, we prophesy in part. And we looked at this last week. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is what? Imperfect will be done away with. That which is perfect was not the canon. We looked at that very closely last week. That which is, when that which is perfect has come is when we no longer see through a glass darkly or in a mirror darkly, but we see face to face. Jesus, face to face. When we know fully as we are fully known. That is not, did not happen at the completion of the canon. Because if it did, we've got one up on Paul in our knowledge. And trust me, we do not. That will happen at the end of the age when we are known fully and are so fully known. Okay? Now, so we prophesy in part and we prophesy imperfectly. Is that how the Old Testament prophets functioned? If you were to turn, and I'm not going to do this right now, but Deuteronomy 13 and 18, those two chapters, if you're taking notes, write those down, and, and I'm going to encourage you to study them. Because in chapter 18, it says, if a man comes to you and he begins to prophesy to you, saying, thus saith the Lord, and it does not come to pass, you're to say, thanks, buddy, anyway, but we're not going to follow that one. Um, you know what? I appreciate your heart in this, but um, we're, we're, we're not going to follow your word. No, you were to stone him. Wow. For this reason, if you were, and write this down, Numbers chapter 12. Numbers 12. What you'll find there is that God says to Aaron and Miriam, he says, because they were grumbling, oh my goodness, you made Moses a prophet and, and a leader why can't we speak with such authority? Why can't we have that type of... Why can't we lead the people too? What makes him the, the, the main guy? And God stepped in and he said, Look, I have revealed myself to prophets like you, Aaron and Miriam, in dreams and in visions with riddles. But to Moses... I speak face to face. Hmm. Well, we may remember what happened to Miriam after that. She came down with leprosy. Moses interceded for her and God healed her. Only to demonstrate God's point to them. I'm saying this to you because God spoke to prophets in dreams and visions. And if you were to go back to Genesis, how did God speak to Abraham in his dreams and in his visions. 
in the middle of the night did he have these really weird dreams. Some of you have had dreams, and they were prophetic dreams. And if you were to share with us some of those dreams, we would think, wow, that is really strange. There's a lot of symbolism in them. But how did God speak to Abraham as he spoke to the prophets? God appeared to him. My point is this. When God would appear to a prophet in a dream or in a vision, he spoke to them. But he spoke in, in riddles. You read through Ezekiel, you'll know what I mean. Wow, there's a bunch of riddles here. What are you saying? Why did you lie on your side for 270 days again? What? And, but he would, when, the, when God would speak to the prophet through dreams and visions, it's what I'm going to call direct revelation. You did not miss, God spoke very directly to you. If you did not speak a word that came to pass, you knew it. Because God had not appeared to you. God had not spoken directly to you. It was very clear in the Old Testament. And understand this, that in the Old Testament, not everyone had the Spirit, but in the New Testament, we do. Every single one of you has the Spirit of God. If you do not have the Spirit, Paul says in Romans 8, then you don't belong to Christ. When we talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that's different. That's the empowerment of the Spirit. Many times happening after conversion. That's separate than the regenerating work of the Spirit, the, the Spirit indwelling the believer to sanctify him and such. Okay, And so in the New Testament, we all have the Spirit. In the Old Testament, that wasn't the case. It was just certain people, prophets was one of them. They had the spirit. And so they needed to communicate with 100% accuracy. So God spoke directly to them in dreams and visions. There was no mistaking whether this was a word of the Lord or not. Now, I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. <clears throat> First Corinthians 14. When God speaks to a prophet, now this is New Testament, when God speaks to a prophet or someone with the gift of prophecy, is it 100% accurate? Is it directly like it was in the Old Testament? Was it absolutely clear, though in riddles, was it clear this is a word of God? Or was it in part and imperfectly? And when we look at chapter 14, I want you to see this particular verse. Verse 29, are you there with me? 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Two or three prophets should speak. That is, people with the gift of prophecy. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully. Now, I'm reading from the NIV here. They translate this Greek word diakrino in this way, weigh carefully what is said. Can I ask you a question? Would they have done something like that in the Old Testament? Would they have weighed carefully? Would they have judged it? The only way to judge it is whether it came to pass or not. That, that's what Deuteronomy 18 says. But this is so much more than this. And the reason this, this Greek, let me back up, this Greek word translated in the NIV, weigh carefully, means separate, make a distinction or a differentiation. 
In other words, differentiate between those words that are of the man and those words that are truly of the Lord. You're to differentiate, weigh carefully the revelation that's given to him, the prophet. It means to judge or make a decision. And may I suggest to you that this weighing that takes place when two or three prophets stand up and then give a word, then someone who's leading or helping lead the meeting needs to weigh this word. The others weigh it, and he, he, he helps in that weighing, that, that, that leader who's overseeing. In three areas, three levels, number one, they weigh it with regard to the revelation of itself. Is all of it of God? Is some of it of God? What is of the Lord and what is not? And if there is something in it that does not line up with the scriptures, then that means it is not of the Lord. Let me confess to you. And this is not just me kind of shooting from the hip here. This is what Paul is teaching us in chapter 14. This type of prophecy, there is some subjectivity to it. Old Testament prophecy, prophecy, it was God. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't of God, it was because the heart of that man, and he knew that he had not received a revelation from the Lord, and his purpose was Deuteronomy 13. This is what it says there. His purpose was to draw them away from the Lord. He was a false prophet, and he knew it. He wanted to lead them astray. And Moses said, be careful of these men. Their words will not come to pass. As we move into the New Testament, we are now, because we have the Spirit of God in us too, we weigh these words carefully. Not just with regard to what of it is of God and what of it is of the man, but also with regard to its interpretation. What does this mean? And then thirdly, how do we apply it? What is our response to this? And that level right there, specifically, it's important for leadership to be involved in that. How do we respond to this word? Okay? It may mean that there is a measure of repentance that God is calling us to. It may mean that some of us have been holding on to lies, and that's what these two or three prophetic words have been speaking to. It may be that we have lost the glory of the cross as these prophetic words are coming forth and calling us to focus again on the glory of what Christ has done for us and the power of the resurrection that we are failing to grasp today. And so as we weigh it with regard to its application, that third level, the call then is church. This is what the Spirit is saying to us. Don't lose sight of that which Christ has accomplished for us on the cross and by his resurrection. And so we weigh carefully now. We all have the spirit so we can do this. In the Old Testament, they did not. Okay? Now, I hope you're, you're beginning to see there is truly a difference between Old Testament prophecy that came 100% accurately and had authority. As we move into the New Testament, that is not the same. Apart from the found, founding apostles and prophets to whom the mystery of Christ was directly revealed, and we do not have those types of apostles and prophets today. But we do have people who function apostolically, 
And we do have people who function prophetically, what I'm going to call in the office of a prophet. So what I'm going to do for you right now is I'm just going to set this up so you can, I think I got it, thank you. Just so that you can see, it's a very simple, some of you have seen this before, it's a very simple, simple diagram. I'm going to walk you through it. <clears throat> As you read through the New Testament, I think it's fair to say, and, and this could be wrong, but I think it's fair to say that there are four general categories of the prophetic. Based on several scripture verses, I believe that each of us, in some time in our life, will prophesy. We will speak God's words as we feel or believe that the Spirit is revealing them to us. I'm going to call this the simple prophetic. It's a little bit different than this next category, the gift of prophecy. One who has the gift of prophecy, I would say, moves in that gift regularly. Someone who operates in the simple prophetic, not so much so. The next group is the prophetic presbytery. We can see that in 1 Timothy chapter 4 where the body of elders laid hands on Timothy and a prophetic word came forth, very probably concerning his future apostolic ministry with Paul. We don't know this for sure, but that's the inclination that we get from it. And a prophetic word came forth. And we also looked at 2 Timothy 1.6 in which he said, fan into flame, the gift of God, that is the spiritual gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. So at some point, Paul, and very possibly at this moment in 1 Timothy 4 where the elders are gathered around and laying hands on him and prophesying, they're ordaining him, okay? And Paul says, when, through the laying on of my hands, there was a gift that was imparted to you. And God has actually done this to some of you. As, as I, I know God has spoken through me. Um, I remember several years ago, uh, Sarah Holland was her name back then, and she came up and, and she was in tears. I had no idea why. And I, I just said, okay, God, I, I just want to be able to minister to her. And, and again, as I mentioned last week, there are times in which we ask people when we're doing altar ministry how we can pray for them. And other times in which we just feel from the Spirit, we're not supposed to ask them. I'm just supposed to pray and be led by the Spirit to pray over them, okay? I believe there's a tremendous allowance for that in, in Scripture, okay? We don't have to follow this uh, paradigm, this, this set pattern. You know, we always have to ask what their prayer need is. And, and God many times moves through what I will call, and, and, and many people in our day, prophetic prayers, I just felt like I wasn't supposed to ask what her need was. I, I just didn't feel I was supposed to do that. And I just began to pray over her, and the Lord gave me a word. And it had to do with teaching. And the Lord showed me to lay hands on her. And I said, Sarah, today God is imparting to you a gift of teaching. And you have looked around yourself. And she's, she's just beginning to cry right now. And, and I said, you, you look around yourself. And you feel inadequate as these other godly women are moving in this gift of teaching. And it's something that so burns in your heart. Today, God is giving you that gift. And that was almost within the year, I would say, began to be walked out as she was given opportunities to, to, to teach. 
And Sarah's an excellent teacher, not only in, with her kids and homeschooling, but with you ladies as she teaches. And God, so God can impart this. Many times, these types of prophecies such come through the prophetic presbytery, the leaders in the church. Many times as they're gathered together praying over someone, they're not always that way. And then lastly, this last group of prophets or prophetesses. Philip had four single daughters who were prophetesses, Scripture says. All right, now let me describe this up here. I think you can figure this out. This lower, below this line here is what I'm going to call God's word. And this portion up here, this is man's word. Sometimes, you know, we, we don't want to do this, but sometimes the words that we say actually come from a heart of compassion. We, we want the very best for this person. And so a word that we give them is birthed more for what we want for them rather than what God is going to be doing, okay? Um, but there are times in which, whether it's from our emotions or just from our own limited intellect, prophesying in part, we will prophesy to some degree from ourselves and not as much from the Lord. But as we move through this progression, and I'm going to call it a progression from the simple prophetic to the office of a prophet, there's more and more, and maybe this line would be a little bit higher, and this line, hopefully, anyway, would be a little bit higher. The truth is, it, this is subjective, of course, the truth is, even the prophet, the one who walks in the office of a prophet today, not one of the founding prophets to whom the, the mystery of Christ was directly revealed, but the prophets today, they are not going to speak with 100% accuracy, and they are not going to, listen to me now, they will not speak with authority, okay? Because that authority comes from the revelation of Christ's teaching, which is now the word. Now, I could say it this way, and I, I want to clear this up. I could say it this way. If a prophet speaks and it is 100% in accord with the word, then the degree to which it's in accord with the word that's authoritative, it will be authoritative, okay? And it's not because their words are authoritative, but this is God's word. His scriptures are authoritative. But if a prophet says, you are to marry this woman, I'm going to encourage you, please, please, please respect the word, but he could be wrong or she could be wrong. That word does not come to you with authority because you have the Spirit of God in you too. And those types of words will come to you merely to confirm what God either is speaking to you in the present or is going to speak to you in other ways. Now, can I just say to you that prophets have spoken accurately with regard to marriages like this? There are certain cautions that I'm... We, we, we need to have, I'm not going to get into that. Um, maybe we will next week, we'll see. Uh, I'm still praying about next week. But the truth is, the prophet does not speak with authority to you. If you, if you go to a prophetic meeting, and I have been to them, and the, the prophets were truly, there are three specifically that have spoken into my life and prophesied over me or my wife and I together, and they truly were, 
as we weighed them, they, they were 100% accurate. But this will not always be the case. So when someone would say, you know what, I, the word to you today is God is saying you need to move to this city, start a business, start a ministry, what have you. Okay, thank you. I, I appreciate that. But now you go away, and as you begin to pray, as you begin to talk and dialogue with leadership in your church, you come to the conclusion, I'm not supposed to move. I'm not supposed to move to that city. I am supposed to start a business, though. And so part of that word was from the Lord, and part of it was from the heart of the prophet himself. Now, do, you, do you see what I'm saying here? I hope this is, I hope I did not create more confusion, but rather brought more clarity to this. And the reason why I'm saying this is because this is a misunderstanding, not only in the cessationist camp who gets this idea of the founding apostles and prophets, but end up throwing out all of apostles, all of prophecy today, no more for today. That is error. But in the camp of those who believe all the gifts of the Spirit are for today, that apostles and prophets are for today, they fail to recognize that there is a limitation that is given to the prophet and the apostle. They do not speak 100% accurately. Maybe close, but they do not. And they do not speak with authority. Any more than I as a pastor, because I'm a leader in this church, speak with authority. I'm going to make mistakes. And if I prophesy, please... If any of us prophesy, understand we do so in part and imperfectly. Now, I want to conclude with this. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. I want to conclude with a caution and a challenge. Samuel is a young man. Eli, an old man, is his mentor. The problem is Eli has many failures as a leader and is a very imperfect mentor to Samuel. And so God himself is going to begin to mentor Samuel because God has called Samuel to be a prophet in his day. This incident that I'm going to read from occurs at the end of what we are going to call, or close to the end, of the time of the judges, before the kings. And it says this in chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And I'm going to suggest to you, and you can write this down, Second uh, Corinthians, excuse me, Second Chronicles, chapter 15, verse 3, talks about a time in which Israel had left their God, in which the Levites failed to teach the word, and there was corruption amongst the people. And if you were to read through the book of Judges, that's exactly what you would see. There is no teaching by the Levites. That was part of their job. They were to take what Moses had written down, and they were to teach the people how to follow God, and they had failed to do that. They began to institute, you read this in the last five chapters of Judges, they began to put in place priests who, who, who were not of the tribe of Levi, who, who were not called to be priests. And it says this, it says this several different times in the last five chapters of Judges. Because there was no king, 
that is to help direct them and point them to Christ. Because there was no king, every man did what was right in his own eyes. In this context, this word comes to us, 1 Samuel 3. The word of the Lord and visions, dreams as well, were rare. Why? Number one, leadership. Leadership had become bankrupt. Eli's sons lived absolutely immoral lives, and Eli failed to correct them. They failed to regularly teach the word. They failed to regularly call people to follow Christ, excuse me, to follow God, Yahweh, the one true God. They failed to establish, you know, here's the law that we are to follow. Here's how you do it. Let me remind you constantly, they failed to remind their children regularly of what God had done in the lives of Moses and the Moses generation and the Joshua generation. And what a tragic verse it is in chapter 3 of Judges, I believe it's verse 10, and a new generation grew up. This is when Joshua had died, and a new generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor his ways. That characterized the rule of the judges. That is what characterized this time. That is the reason why the word of the Lord was rare. So here's my challenge to every single one of us. I hope you understand what we're getting at with this right here. My question then I want to conclude with is, how do we, as a people of God, grow in the prophetic? And there's many things that we could touch on. I'm just concluding with this one. We need to be men and women of this word here. You need to be men and women who saturate our minds with the word of God. And as we do that, we don't just memorize it. We just don't meditate on it. By becoming a man or a woman of of the word of God, that means we don't just reflect on it, but church, we live it. We don't just know the truth, we walk in the truth. We're, do you realize that as a church, this is in 1 Timothy 3, Paul tells Timothy, church, Timothy, this is so cool, listen to this. The church is the pillar and the foundation or bulwark of the truth. Whoa, 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 Paul, back the truck up here. Don't you mean to say that the truth is the foundation of the church? Because you got it backwards, I think. But it's in the context of character, and here's why. Because, church, you are the pillar. You hold up the truth. As you walk it out, as you reflect it, as the church looks on, and instead of seeing a bunch of hypocrites calling themselves Christians, instead they see people living in supernatural love and joy and peace. And they're just saying, what? This is amazing. This is what I want. That's what I want my life to look like. I want that type of joy. I want that type of self-control. Man, my life is so filled with addictions. I want that type of supernatural peace and, and goodness and love. I want that. Well, I tell you what, church, then we need to show them Jesus. We need to live in a way that lifts up the word of God. Because in the days of Samuel, 
They did not. And the word of God fell to the ground. And they failed to be responsible with the word of God. And so God says, you know what? I've given you this much of the word. And until you start living it, I am not giving you anymore. Now I'm paraphrasing, of course. I'm not giving you anymore. Be faithful in what you have given, and I will make you faithful in much. And so Samuel became a man of God who was a man of the word, and the word of the Lord was revealed to him. And so I'm going to challenge you, church, do you want to grow in the prophetic? Do you want God to use you in the prophetic? Not as a platform, not as a, wow, look at what I can say, and God's using me to predict the future, and God's using me to speak into your life. But rather, God, there are broken people in this generation. And when I have an opportunity to speak to them, would you give me the words to say? Would they come from your heart? And God will do this if you are a man or a woman of the word and you're seeking to not just know the truth but walk in the truth. If we will be a generation that is pursuing Jesus Christ and how he is revealed in these 66 books of the Bible, then God is in this process of raising you, this generation, to be a prophetic people that will be able to speak to this generation and not be hypocrites so that the world looks on and says, I don't want to have any part in that. But they so radiate Jesus Christ and how they speak and how they live that the world, as it says in 1 Corinthians, when, they, when, the, when the ungodly come in your midst and prophecies come out, they fall on their faces before God and say, truly, God is among you. I want to live my life that way. I want to live my life in a way that so honors Christ that he would allow me to speak his words in this way here. And that God would use me. And I believe that's what your heart is too this morning, is to be a prophetic people, is to hear the voice of the Lord, to speak his words as he would, reveal, as he would begin to show us what to say and how to speak into situations. I'm just... About two weeks ago, I've been praying for like two or three months. I had an opportunity to minister to a young man at work, and, and for two months, no opportunities at all. God, is it because I'm just so busy? Is it because I'm not taking advantage of opportunities? There's there just no opportunities. He's not ready. You know, God, what's going on? I want an opportunity to speak with him. And so one day, we're just in a conversation, and God allowed me to speak in a way that spoke directly to his heart. And I can just tell you that me as Mike Curtis, I am, I'm not able to do that. I can't do that. But you see, God can. And God just used those few minutes and, and by his grace happened to put words in my mouth that as I spoke them, called him out of where he was at to follow Jesus Christ, to get off the fence, to make a decision. And it, it was a serious prophetic challenge to him. I'm going to just word it that way. And I, I'm, I'm continuing to pray for him. I want to see, God, are you going to stir in his heart? Are you going to be the one who's going to call him to follow Jesus? I know that's what's in your heart, to 
please, God, do that. If I can say anything more, that's what I want to hear. Church, I believe that's what's in your heart. When you guys are rubbing shoulders with people on your campus at schools, I believe you want to speak the words of the Lord and not just be people who shoot from the hip and who whatever, but that as you walk in the Spirit, you speak by the Spirit. God can use you this way at work, wherever you are. Can we just stand right now? Let's respond to this word. If we could just kill the lights, but allow this just be a holy time between you and the Lord right now. Can we do that, Father? I just ask you, God, we want to be your mouthpiece, to be your ambassadors in this generation as we hold up in the darkness the word of light. Father, we want to speak on your behalf. We want to speak into people's lives, into their situations with your words. I just ask you, Lord, make us your prophetic people in this way. To walk in your spirit and in the power of your spirit. To be men and women of your word and live it. That's our heart's desire. Father, I just pray for every single person here this morning. Call them to your word. Call them to Jesus. And to radically pursue him. Father, you have a purpose for every single one of us here. Use us as you see fit. But I ask God, please, use us powerfully to change this generation by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our prayer. Please. Please, God, do this in Jesus' name. Amen.